Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read the preaching passage for today. It's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. That's Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen. Well done for getting the hallelujah as well. That was very good. Obviously, that is the claim that we as Christians believe. And we're also aware that there are many millions of people in the world who don't believe that. And as we gather together on this Easter Sunday, we who believe in the resurrection of Jesus are reminding ourselves of that hope. And those of us who are perhaps here uh, for the first time or checking out Christian things or figuring out what it is that Christians believe, we want you to have the opportunity to see why it is that we believe that. And we're aware, of course, on Easter Sunday we have uh, visitors. There are things that happen on Easter Sunday that don't happen at other times of the year, like the, the um, cinnamon rolls. Is that what it was? Yeah. And I'm always amused by the amount of flowers that appear on Easter Sunday. It feels like I'm preaching from the Morton Arboretum or something like that. So we're aware there are guests here, and if you are a guest and you don't know who I am, my name is Josh Moody, and as you can tell from my accent, I was born in Texas. <laughs> but we're very glad you're here if you're a visitor or a skeptic or seeking these things. The claim of the text that we're looking at this morning is that there is a fact that requires a response. And of course, that's quite a challenge for those of us who live within a modern scientific worldview. The resurrection, according to the contemporary scientific worldview that has been around for several hundred years, is either such a strange event that it doesn't fit within uh, scientific normality, or it is ruled out of possibility by the nature of what science is. One of the greatest scientists, 1919, Albert Einstein, famous scientist, of course, uh, was gathered for a, with a party in a restaurant with some of his friends, and in 1919, he was waiting for the results from an expedition to observe a solar eclipse, and the results of that solar eclipse will either confirm empirically his uh, famous 
theory, the uh, theory of relativity or otherwise. And uh, while he was there, he got the telegram that confirmed the results that came from this um, expedition to observe the polar eclipse did indeed confirm the theory of relativity with the first empirical data. And Albert Einstein um, seemed sort of relieved, but it was what he expected. And a friend of his said to him, well, what would, have, what would you have said if the results had been different? And Albert Einstein replied he would have felt... Um, pity for the good Lord, for the theory was correct. It's interesting, isn't it, how we come with our own frame, our own story, and then we look at the facts that way. Actually, just a year later, in 1920, when Albert Einstein was on one of his many lecture tours, having become extremely famous because of E equals MC squared, the famous scientific equation, and He was uh, lecturing at some big event or other, and then over breakfast the next morning, a man who'd heard him lecture rushed up to him, a young man, and said, E equals MC squared, uh, Professor. I'm sure that if that equation is applied in a certain kind of way, it will create a massive explosion. You could create a massive... And, of course, that indeed is what happened with you know, the nuclear explosions, atomic bombs, and all that. And, and in 1920, this young man had seen that. He came up to Albert Einstein and said, that's where it's going to leave. And Einstein said, no, it's not, and dismissed him and thought it was ridiculous, and he was wrong. How do we fit the fact of the claim of this text that there is an empty tomb into a modern, contemporary way of looking at life? I'm going to try and show you that and show you that it is a life-changing um, trajectory once you do. And you say, well, why should I listen to that? Well, first of all, because it is the most important question of all. H.G. Wells said that the, and he, of course, was not a Christian, he said that the Christian, uh, uh, that Jesus, for anyone who even approaches history Uh, without any theological bias whatsoever, has to admit that he's the dominant figure in history. So the question of whether Jesus really did rise from the dead is the question. But not only that, there's a fact that requires a response. The response is life-changing, and we need that life-changing response today. The, the new uh, data has come out that shows that from 2009 to 2021, the percentage of high school students who are experiencing persistent feelings of despair and purposelessness has gone from 29% to 44% in 2021. One in two feelings of despair. And there's all sorts of, you know, is it technology, is it cell phones, is it COVID, we can't gather together, and perhaps all these things are I haven't been able to gather together. Perhaps all these things have affected it. But the predominant reason why is because of the fact and the response and the right way then of looking at life that then gives you a life meaning and purpose. And meaning then our life is not, as Shakespeare said, a tale told by idiots full of sound and fury signifying nothing. That's where most people live today doesn't mean anything. But if the resurrection is true, it does. And so I'm going to try and show you that. How am I going to show you that? Well, first of all, I want you to see the way the story is told. And to understand how the story is told, you need to have a little bit more of the frame. And so the Bible has a story. Um, 
and, and it has a sort of DNA, a basic structure to the Bible story. And, and stories have this DNA structure. So, for instance, Pixar, of course, the famous um, uh, industry that creates all those movies like Toy Story and, and Cars and all the rest, Pixar actually has six sentences, it's been shown, that undergird all of their stories. And the Pixar's six sentences are, once upon a time, every day, one day, which meant this happened, which meant this happened, until finally. And if you watch Pixar stories, they're all like that. And similarly in the Bible, the Bible, of course, is a book written by many different people over a very long time, but it has a DNA basic structure to it. And the basic structure is, is three sentences that call for response. That is, we lived in paradise. We clearly don't live in paradise anymore. We know that. There's darkness and death and mayhem and Ukraine and, and, and disease and conflict and, and internal feelings of despair. We know we don't live in paradise anymore, but God has a redemption plan, and that redemption plan is in Jesus. Jesus, and that calls for a response. That's the story. And Mark, one of the four Gospels that is telling that story, has a certain way of doing it. And Mark, as we saw on Good Friday, culminates with the pagan centurion who looks at the cross. Uh, Good Friday, the memorial Good Friday, is not a funeral, it's a festival, because the Good Friday experience shows us who Jesus is. And in Mark's story, the pagan centurion who looks at the cross sees that Jesus is the Son of of God, which is what Mark has been trying to show us all along with his stories. And he, he tells stories in such a way that he is forcing the reader to consider their response. And this story, most of all, because of course at the end it's a huge surprise. They, they run off frightened and tell no one, though they've been told to tell people. And the reason why Mark tells his story that way is to get us, the reader, to say, what about, what about you? What about me? What about us? What will be our response? So now we're at the passage here that we're looking at, and in this, in this passage here, Mark tells a story as a fact that leads to a, a call for response, and it's done in such a way that it shows that the scientific modern way of looking at life doesn't deny the fact and I say, how does that? Well, obviously they weren't scientists then. I mean, there, there weren't any scientists in those days. Science is a scientific way of looking at life as a relatively new thing. And there aren't many scientists today. It's hard to think scientifically. And, and, but, but, but it's a misunderstanding. This is what this, the way the story is usually told for those who find it hard to believe in the resurrection. It's a misunderstanding thing. In those days, people were expecting a resurrection and they didn't understand how the laws of nature worked, and therefore they were gullible and would believe that kind of thing. Wrong. Completely wrong. Look what happened to the women. They were like, what on earth is going on? I'm scared out of my mind. They were not. Oh, yes, exactly what we expected. People knew that people died in those days. In fact, in some ways, they were more aware of it. They saw more death, right? And they understood that that people didn't rise from the dead. It was a huge surprise to them. What is more philosophically, again, the frame, the story, Greco-Roman culture was not expecting a resurrection. This is one of the huge challenges for the Christian faith at the time. The Greco-Roman world, its religion, believed in the immortality of the soul. So, you know, the 
famous American um, story from the uh, song from the Civil War. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. That was the sort of, the soul lives on, but the body is rotting, is decaying. Of course, that's what they believed. But the Christian faith is that Jesus physically rose again. And they just blew their minds when they... They couldn't get their, get their mind around that idea. It was not what they were expecting at all, nor was it what the, the Judaism of the time was expecting. Uh, the, the, the Judaistic worldview at the time was expecting, yes, there would be a Messiah, but when he came, he would in, in, incorporate a whole new way of the, the, the rule of God in the kingdom, and there would be... Any hope of resurrection was that, like the new thing where the whole earth and the glory of the Lord would fill the earth like the waters fill the sea and that'd be a whole new thing. And when Jesus came, those two things were split into two. Jesus came, he rose again from the dead, and he's going to come back and bring into reality that new heaven and the new earth. We're not there yet. And they weren't expecting a resurrection from the dead either. It's the last thing they were expecting. The women, nor were the disciples. It was a huge shock. It was, it was, and so similarly with the scientific worldview today, like uh, people do not rise from the dead. Well, that's true. And they were thinking people do not rise from the dead, and that's true. They don't, and yet he did. It's like a mind-blowing surprise. It's not. Oh yeah, we expect that to happen. So it blew apart their worldview, and it blows apart the worldview that we have uh, today just, just, just as much. And then when you, when you obviously, the, we know from the rest of the Gospels that the disciples then went around telling that Jesus did rise again from the dead, and people believed, and the world was turned upside down, the whole Roman Empire and the whole, the whole world at the time, was, was brought to, 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 to the encounter with the resurrection of Jesus and the world was changed through these simple Galilean peasants going around saying, he is risen. And you think to yourself, well, what could explain the change? Uh, Chuck Colson, who was um, Richard Nixon's right-hand man and became a Christian in prison, he would say that at the time at Watergate, there were 12 people who were keeping a lie about Watergate, and they managed to keep that lie for three days. They said, and you tell me that these, these 12 or so disciples and the 500 who witnessed the resurrection body we know from elsewhere in the Bible, that, that you're telling me they kept the lie? And they were willing to give their lives to the lie? Not, not, not believable. You have to have an explanation for how the world changed. And the resurrection of Jesus is a sufficient explanation. It explains how that happened. And it's not only a sufficient explanation, it's a necessary explanation. Nothing else can explain the data. The eyewitnesses, the surprise, huge change. The church all around the world, the living power of Jesus. There's no other explanation for it, I believe, Christians believe, and that's the case we're making 
uh, this morning. And if it is the case, then it requires a response. And the response is, is equally amazing. Of course, the women who went out uh, scared, the women were the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, which is an astonishing thing. If you want to do a sunrise service correct, it would only be the women there. All the gospel accounts admit that it was the women who were there first, which is amazing. And usually this is slightly misunderstood. It's often said that that women were not legally acceptable witnesses in the courts at the time. Sort of true, sort of not true. So in the ancient world, in in Roman times, women could be legally accepted witnesses. Um, We know this from a man called Cicero with his case against Veres, that he called noble women for... Uh, to be witnesses. So women could be witnesses in the, in the Roman law, but in the, in the Jewish law, it's true they could not be witnesses because the Old Testament said that you needed two men as eyewitnesses and they weren't men. And so the Jew, Jewish law at the time, women couldn't be eyewitnesses. So, so it's, it's a legally acceptable witness within the Roman world and yet it's exactly what you would not do if you were trying to make it up. You wouldn't make the women witnesses. And yet they were, because it's just what happened. And it confirms, by the way, the Lord Jesus' love for women. Whenever the gospel has been preached, women have been set free. So there's the fact, and it does call for response. Mark tells the story in such a way that there's a question mark at the end of it. And the question mark looks out at us all and says, well, what about you? What about you? What kind of story will you tell? It is a revolution of the mind. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, we know from the Apostle Paul, we too will rise again from the dead. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, our life is not ended by the grave. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, and no other religious leader did, not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Marx, not Lenin, none of them did. Because Jesus rose again from the dead, our life is not the same anymore. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know what we're, where we're going. We know what we're made for. We know what our purpose in life is. It's a revolutionary way of looking at the, at, at the world. And there are these massive forces at work in our world today to try to get us not to accept the fact, and yes, fact, historical fact. You can't prove the resurrection scientifically because it's not a scientific claim. It's a historical claim. It's something that happened in the past and historically it's both a sufficient explanation and a necessary explanation of the date of the world in which we live the eyewitnesses the women the fact of the resurrection then calls for a response and there are these forces at work today that will do anything to stop us from living in the light of the empty tomb Uh, Oscar Wilde wrote a play called Salome and in that play he described how Herod, King Herod at the time, when he heard that Jesus was rising from the dead, when Jesus was raising people from the dead, he, he, everything else Herod was willing to accept, going around doing good, 
teaching good messages, giving moral lessons, but when he heard about the resurrection of the dead, Oscar Wilde in this play that he wrote, Salome, made King Herod say, it shall not happen, I will not allow it to happen, it must not be so. Why? Because if Jesus rose again from the dead, what that means is no dictator has ultimate power over us. We are free. We have purpose. We have a life to live. And that's, that's the response. The response is, well, as the angels put it, don't they? They say, go tell. Go tell. It's a response of faith, first of all, to believe. And by the way, faith, trust, is not like this sort of weird, I'm not asking you if you're not a Christian here this morning to to take a leap into the dark. That's not what faith is. No one wants to take a leap into the dark. You break your ankle. Faith is trust, and it's, it's an extremely powerful, even economic force. You think of something like eBay. eBay works on trust. That's how it works. You, you, you send money to someone, they send you stuff, and it, it works like that. That's how it works. It's trust. Money is based on trust. You get out this bit of paper, and credit cards based on trust. And what What's being asked of us to respond is to trust, of course, but to trust based upon a fact. And then to go tell. To then live a life of meaning. To then orientate every part of the days of the life that God gives you around this whole new way of being. Your life now has meaning. It now has a purpose. You now have a job to do. To tell people about the risen Jesus. That at least is my hope and my belief based upon the fact of the resurrection and the empty tomb. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you that you are risen. And we pray, Lord, that today you would Give us as a church a new sense of mission. We think of next Sunday with that Disability Sunday and all those people will be here with that amazing ministry that you've given this church. And we think of that question of suffering that is so important. We pray, Lord, that you would um, give us that mission of bringing people to that service. And we think of the world and those we sent out on your work, doing your work. Would you equip them? We think of our families, the mothers and fathers here, who perhaps have had sleepless nights this week and wonder whether it's all worth it. Would you show them, Lord, that in the light of the resurrection, 
it has meaning and value and that their task matters. And we pray, Lord, that um, for those who don't yet know you, this would be the start of a journey, just like it was for those women, perhaps not immediately understanding it all, as, as the women certainly didn't. They ran away very unsure what it was all about. And yet, Lord the start of something new. I pray it would be like that for many here this morning too. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.